This morning, I, I want to share, share some things uh, kind of jumping off from the last time I ministered. We've been following the children of Israel out of Egypt and headed for their promised land. And we can see such a parallel in this congregation because for 45 years, we've been headed for our promised land. And it's taken 45 years. And we're right on the verge of going into a great and mighty um, moving up in the kingdom of God as we move into our new church. And uh, I was just talking to Floyd yesterday. He's our overseer. And uh, what he mentioned was that we're just basically weeks away from moving in. How many weeks, I don't know. You talk to Eugene, it's going to be longer. Uh, but I'm very optimistic. And they've been working. They have really been working not just five days a week, They've been working six days a week trying to get everything done, and it's looking mighty good. So you will have a chance next week as you go to the picnic to um, do, uh, tour the building, and uh, I'm just amazed every time I go in. And, and uh, yesterday I, I drove up, <coughs> and I looked at that building, and I thought, that looks just like Pastor Charlie. <laughs> that building is what he had in his heart. And I, I know that uh, even though he's not going to be able to be there in the, in the flesh, in that building, I believe he knows what's going on. And because it was a great part of his life, and it's a great part of this, the life of this church. So as we've been following the children of Israel, we've been looking at the progress and the process it is to move from one place to an area where they have uh, a promised land where everything that God has promised can come to pass in their lives and all of the trials that they went through. And they went through so many different uh, internal problems when they were going through the wilderness. So much so that uh, 11 days journey took them 40 years. And all of those that were 20 years old and over, when they left Egypt, they died off. And they never saw the promise because of all the internal problems that took place. They didn't know how to trust God. They didn't know God. That's the bottom line. They didn't know God. But there arose a generation uh, that I believe all this time they had begun to see the faithfulness of God. And their parents were probably training them uh, to not do some of the things that had, kept, had slowed them down along the way. And so they have, now we have a group of people that are coming to the promised land, and uh, they're going to get to go in. So now they're poised, just like we're poised, on the very brink of going into the promised land. So I want to start uh, with Josh Joshua, the, first, the third chapter. And um, you'll recognize that this is kind of a, 
I'm going to be repeating a few things that, that I mentioned last time I ministered on uh, preparing to receive your promise. This is basically part two. Because it's too big a subject to get into just one lesson. So in Joshua, the third chapter, we see now they've come up to the promised land and they actually have a different leader than they started out with. They started out with Moses. And now Moses has taken off the scene. He didn't get to go into the promised land. He saw it from afar, but he didn't get to go in. And so now we have a different leader that had been with Moses all this time, but uh, he had learned a lot of things from Moses. And I don't know if he, ever, if he thought he would ever be in that position of leadership, but when Moses went off the scene, Joshua took over as leader. And so now we see a different leader, a different group of people, and now they're getting ready to go in. So uh, let's look at some of the instruction that came forth in uh, preparing to go into the promised land. So verse 1, Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to J Jordan. And he and all the Israelites and lost there before passing over. After three days, they were waiting for three days, the officers went through the camp. Now, I'm sure they were waiting for instruction from the Lord because they had learned that God has a way of doing things. And it's important to do things the way that God says to do things. So, uh, verse 3 or verse 2, after three days, the officers went through the camp, commanding the people. Now, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, bring, being born by the Levitical priests, set out from where you are and follow it. So, we're talking about the presence of the Lord. Uh, this is what the representative of the Ark of the Covenant was, the presence of the Lord. You follow that. Then, verse 4. Yet a space must be kept between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Come not near it that you may be able to see the ark and know the way you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Now God's going to take us many times individually and as a church He's going to take us places we've never been before. I don't know if you've noticed, but God does stretch us. He stretches us beyond our natural limit many times. And he does that for a purpose because he knows that you need, you need, you must follow him. And not just branch out and do it on your own. And so, um, verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, that is, separate yourselves for a special holy purpose, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So Joshua 
gave some very important instructions to the children of Israel. And the re he, he's saying, you're going to have to do something to yourself. Check yourself. And he's saying, you need to separate yourself for a special holy purpose. And you're supposed, you must do this because God is going to be in the midst of you. And he's going to do some signs and wonders. Now, let me just say this. God's presence is everywhere. It's called omnipresence. We can say God's always with us. He never forsakes us. But there is also a manifested presence of God. That's a presence when you sense his presence in your midst. And any time God is in our midst, then he has supernatural ability. And many times we see much supernatural take place when his manifested presence is here. But it's not just a casual thing for the manifested presence of God to be in our midst because the Bible tells us our God is a consuming fire. Now, the children of Israel experienced some of that when they were disobedient. There was, time, there was a time when a fire came from heaven and burned up a couple of people that were doing things wrong in the sanctuary. I mean, they were priests, sons of a priest, and yet the Bible says they offered strange fire and they were consumed. I mean, they started... See, in the beginning, when God brought them out of Egypt, he had a plan. He had something in his heart for these people. In Exodus 19, starting in verse 4, it says, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I'm going to stop there for just a minute. God did not bring them out at that point to take him to the promised land. Yes, that was the ultimate plan. But his plan was that they get to know him. So he brought them out so that they could get to know who God is. And so the next verse says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice in truth and keep my commandment, then you shall be my own particular possessions and treasures from among and above all people, for all the earth is mine. And then uh, go back, go to the next verse. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, consecrated, set apart to the worship of God. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses spoke those words to the Israelites. And then in verse 8, the people answered. They said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And so Moses reported that back to God. Said, you know, yep, 
they're on board. Everything is cool until the very next chapter when they actually begin to see the manifested presence of God starting in verse, uh, verse 18. Now all the people, so this is what happened when they came before the mountain and they begin to be introduced to the God that brought them out of Egypt. Now all the people perceived the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the smoking mountain and they, they looked, they trembled with fear and fell back and stood afar off. Next verse. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. But let not God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said unto the people. Now we, I talked about this last time I, meant, uh, I ministered about this. Moses said to the people, fear not. For God has come to prove you so that the reverential fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. So Moses, you know, it sounds like he was speaking out of two sides of his mouth. He said, don't fear, but fear. Don't fear. Don't fear God in one way, but fear him in another way. So there are two kinds of fear. They were experiencing what we call the spirit of fear. And we have that many times. But there is another fear that God wants us to have that we absolutely must have if we are not going to be involved in sin. And that is the reverential fear of God. So I want to just give you a, um, a definition of the fear of God. It means reverence, profound awe, and respect inspired by something great. To fear God is to esteem, respect, honor, venerate, and adore him above anyone or anything else. Now, I put up Hebrews 12, uh, verse 28. Let us therefore receiving a kingdom that is firm and stable and cannot be shaken... Offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with modesty and pious care and what? Godly fear and awe. Because verse 29 says, for our God is indeed a consuming fire. Now God is not going to come and consume you. But if God is in the presence of sin. There is a consuming fire involved. We don't talk about sin a whole lot. Or do we talk about the, the fear of God? But I believe, uh, in fact, I've heard ministers say that the last day move of God will be a move of the fear of God. Why? Because the last day move of God is going to be a supernatural move of God. God's going to be among us to do signs and wonders. And if he is going to do that, then we must honor and respect and reverence him.
I could take time to, to tell you how big God is, but I don't have time today because there's, it's so unfathomable. It's amazing what, God, what our God is. Let me just read you a word that the Lord gave me um, a few years ago. This is what he, the Lord spoke to me. There is nothing impossible with me, says the Lord. There is nothing too hard for me. Can an ant comprehend a computer in your world? Neither can you comprehend all the marvels of my world. Ants feed on the tiny crumbs that fall from your table and think they are blessed because that is all they know is available. All the technology, the wisdom, and the most intelligent in your world, uh, all the, let me reread that. All the technology and wisdom, the most intelligent in your world enjoy, are mere crumbs dropped from my world. Our God is so big and so unfathomable. He deserves to be reverenced. So uh, the question is, how does the reverential fear of God play out? in a person's life. Now I want to look at Proverbs 16:6. By mercy and love, truth and fidelity to God and man, not by sacrificial offerings, iniquity is purged out of the heart and by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. Now, how does that play out in a person's life? Well, uh, just an example. Uh, not too long ago, I heard that there was a rumor going around about me that I was having an affair with a married man. And I thought, of course I laughed. And everybody that heard it probably that knew me laughed. Uh, I'm not sure if they were laughing because I was so old. They didn't think that was possible. But... Um, when I heard that, I thought, if anybody believed that, they really don't know me because years ago, I made a decision that I would live my life accountable to God and God only. And even if I thought that nobody in the whole wide world would ever find out if I was, in truth, having an affair, I would not do it because God would know. And I, as I was studying this lesson, I thought, you know, that is really what would keep me from doing anything. Whether you find out about it or whether you don't. I'm telling you that... My accountability is before God. Why? Because I fear God. I reverence God. I adore Him. And I would not ever want to do anything that knowingly that would displease God. Now that's the way the fear of God works. Not just in my life, but your life. 
to live our life before God in the fear of God keeps us from sinning. Now, why is God so against sin? Well, um, look at First um, Peter 5, 8. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times. For what? The enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Now, I know God does not want the devil devouring you. And you probably don't want the devil devouring you. But let me tell you, if you open the door through sin, he can come in and mess up your life. Now, last week, I told you about an incident that happened with Brad and Tammy's dog, Bella. So if you would put up that picture, just so you can have a face... I told you that this dog thinks it's a human. I thought that was about the funniest picture I ever saw. And it just perfectly uh, displays that dog's personality. So uh, you can leave that up there while I'm telling the story. So the story, if you were here last week, you know the background, but some of you weren't. So um, I, I had remodeled my bedroom after pastor passed away, and uh, I had put uh, in it a silver carpet, beautiful silver carpet, and it, uh, I was very, very proud of that carpet, so much so that I didn't really want people to walk on it, and so um, I, I was very careful to keep anybody with dirty shoes off of my carpet, so, you know, I'd put down stuff just to uh, to keep, uh, keep any dirt from getting on it. Arthur knows about that. He came out and he worked and, uh, when my, my basement was flooded and I made him walk on, on uh, quilts that I'd put down. So uh, <clears throat> I was trying to keep that carpet clean. And so I would shut the door to the bedroom when Brad brought Bella or Quentin brought Annie. Because I don't know if I trusted them or not. But, you know, they seem to have it all together. And I, so I got complacent. You know what complacent is? You're not vigilant. And so when Brad was here last, you know, we had a long meeting on Tuesday. Uh, and went, and actually, I didn't get back to the house till 3. So Bella had been in the house that whole time. And guess what? I had left the door open to the bedroom. Guess what? Bella needed to use the bathroom. And she saw that silver carpet, and it looked like the perfect place to use the bathroom. And it wasn't just any old bathroom event. <laughs> it was major. So when I got home... 
I saw what happens when you leave the door open, it starts to mess up your life. And it began to mess up that carpet. Now today, thanks to carpet cleaner, thanks to Brad and going in there, I didn't touch it. He went in there, he cleaned it up, and uh, it, it's, you can't hardly tell that it was, in, it was there. But I saw how important, it, I'll tell you one thing, I will never leave the door open again when Bella's there or Annie for that matter. Now, I use that illustration because that's what, we think it's no big deal sometimes when we do something we know we shouldn't do. You know, the Bible tells us to forgive. Forgive, oh, it's no big deal. It'll mess up your life because it will open the door to the enemy to come into your life and start messing you up. I don't care what it is. If God says it's a sin, it is a sin, and it will mess up your life if you open the door to it. Reverential fear will keep that door shut in your life. Now, I, I, have, a, uh, I have an animal of my own. And this animal, if you put up that another picture, this is Stinky, my cat. I adore my cat. She uh, is the only survivor of all the many thousands of cats that I've had over my lifetime because I, I did not recognize early enough that at night there is predators that run around in our neighborhood. There's coyotes, there's foxes, and I would get the most adorable cats, and then I'd wake up some morning and they'd be gone. And I don't know, I mean, my cats were coyote food for years. When I got stinky, I thought, you know what, it's, it's, I'm going to keep her in the house. Well, I have a little bit of a problem, or I have had, I'm not going to confess it so much so now, but... Uh, I did have some problems with uh, a few symptoms whenever my cats were in the house. So the only alternative that I could think of was to shut Stinky up in her own condominium at night. So I have this great cat condominium that's built right behind by our house. It's called a Mueller shed. It's what Charlie used to park his pickups in and now it's my cat's condominium. So every night, I shut that cat up, and then in the morning, I'll let it out. Sometimes she does not want to go in at night. She's having a really good time outside. And she'll sit there and go, and I'll call her. She just acts like she doesn't hear me. But I have to either carry her in and I will tell her every time, now, honey, this is the deal. This is for your good. I want to keep you alive. So I need to shut you up in this tonight to keep 
the enemies away. Now, she may not understand, but maybe we should understand that whenever God says, don't do whatever he says don't do, he's shutting us at the door so that the enemy cannot come into your life. Because the enemy comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So, uh, I'm thinking of, uh, in Acts, the fifth chapter, of somebody that didn't have the fear of God in their life. Two people. Maybe you've heard of them. Ananias and Sapphira. Now, Ananias and Sapphira, um, they were part of the church. And... They were good Christian people, I'm sure. Barnabas had sold some land and had taken all of the money and given it to the disciples. And I'm sure they all patted Barnabas on the back and said, Wow, you are so generous. Dude, I've just got to tell everybody about this. You know, do you know what Barnabas did? And they told about Barnabas. And so Ananias and Sapphira... They decided, hmm, we've got some land that we want to sell. Let's sell our land. And so they sold the land, and when they got this big batch of money, they thought, you know, we've got a lot of bills to pay. And uh, so I know what we'll do. We will take part of it, to the disciples and tell them this is all of it. And then we'll keep the rest and pay the bills. Nobody will have to know. No, remember that. Nobody will have to know. So they did that. But Peter happened to be full of the Holy Ghost. And let me tell you that when somebody is full of the Holy Ghost and there's a manifested presence of God, you might not want to be lying. That's right. <laughs> now, you might be able to get by with lying when the manifest presence of God is not in a certain place. But when that manifest presence is there, there's a higher accountability. And so Peter said, is this what you sold the land for? And Ananias said, yes. You know, the economy's down. And, uh, so, um, yeah, that, yeah, 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 that's, that's it. Yeah, this is, we, we brought it all in here. And Peter said, what caused you to think that you could lie to the Holy Spirit? He said, while that property was yours, it's yours. When you sold it, the money that you sold it was yours as well. You could do anything with it that you wanted to. If you wanted to keep part of it, you could have. But because, and I'm just, I'm going to paraphrase here, because you didn't have the fear of God in your life, you thought you could get by with lying to the Holy Spirit. 
And what happened next? He dropped down dead. Is it serious? Well, it was serious then. And so then Sapphira came in and the same scenario, and I've never understood this part. They went out and buried her husband, didn't even tell her. But uh, she came in and did the exact same thing. And Peter said, don't you know that the feet of those that buried your husband is coming to get you? That's the first time she knew her husband was dead. But she didn't get to even hardly process it because boom, she died too. And the very next verses said, and the fear of God manifested throughout the whole congregation. I would think so. What we need is a re revival of the fear of God. John Bevere shares in his book about a man that came up to him after a service, and he's a Christian man, and he said, I'm a Christian man, but he said, I, I, uh, I like to sleep with women. He said, I, I sleep with women all the time. And he said, um, there's my, I, sometimes I can go a month or two, and I'm okay, but then I go right back to it. He said, but that's not my problem. He said, my problem is this. Do you have any idea why my business is struggling? <laughs> and, I, of course, John, I don't know what he said to him, but I wouldn't have wanted to be there. And I wouldn't want to be that guy because of, he's pretty bold. But that's, that's the thing that we sometimes don't connect the dots we don't connect the dots because we don't realize what a mess sin can do to our lives. So uh, back to uh, Proverbs 16.6. And by the reverent, worshipful fear of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. Now, there are benefits of fearing God. The Bible is full of them. I was looking at them and I thought, oh, these, this, is, this is too many for one sermon. So I just picked out three. Three benefits of having the fear of God in your life. So Psalms 34, 7 says the angel... Of the Lord encamps around those who what? Fear him, who revere and worship him with awe. And what does he do? Each of them he delivers. In 1973, I don't know how many of you know who John Hagee is, but probably most of you do. He's a pastor of a great of a big church and has been for years and years in San Antonio. Uh, but in 1973, a man walked into the service and he walked up within eight feet of the platform. And he pulled out a 38 revolver. 
and he began to fire on John Hagee. Now, there is another scripture that says, the fear of the Lord gives you great confidence. And he stood there and just stared at that man. Didn't cower. He didn't run. He didn't duck. The man fired six shots from eight feet away. I don't know how far eight feet are. How, how far is eight feet? Some of you that know. Pretty close, isn't it? Okay. So anyway, he fired. Half of the shots went six inches to his left, and the other half went six inches to his right. And not one of them touched him. The angels of the Lord encamp around those that what? Fear him. Fear him. So he was totally delivered. I don't know the rest of the story, what happened to the man, but, um, you know, I can imagine if anybody came in here, we have a security team that would have them on the floor in minutes. So that's number one, one of the things I wanted to bring out. Psalms 145, 19. He will fulfill the desires of those who reverently and worshipfully fear him and also will hear their cry and will save them. How many of you have some desires of your heart that have never been fulfilled? Well, if you are fearing God, you have every right in the world to believe that those desires will be fulfilled. I want you to know how, how great a God we have. He loves to fulfill your desires. He loves to answer your prayers. I'm reminded of an event that I heard about Brother Hagin. He had called uh, Brother John Olstein and said, I need you to pray with me. Uh, my wife is very sick, and the Lord has told me she's going to die. And he says, I don't want her to die. So uh, would you agree with me? And of course, John agreed with him. And not many days afterwards, Brother Hagin was praying and Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus said to him, I'm going to heal your wife. And of course, that was exciting news to Brother Hagin because he'd already felt like that she was, was going to die. And Jesus started to walk away, and he, he turned around. And he, he said, do you know why I'm going to heal her? Brother Hagin said, no. He said, because you asked me. Simple as that. That's our God. That's the kind of God that we should have a reverential fear for because he's a good God. He's a good God. And he will fulfill the desires of your heart. We are on the road to learning how to fear God. Truly fear God. And I, I don't have time today to get into what holiness is like and all about. But uh, we'll get that on another time. Proverbs 7, excuse me, Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Do not... Be not wise 
in your own eyes. Reverently fear and worship the Lord and turn entirely away from evil. And what's going to happen? It's going to be health to your nerves, sinews, marrow, and moistening to your bones. There's health benefits from fearing the Lord. You know, God is not somebody to be trifled with. All of these benefits are available, but not just everybody's going to get them. It's not because God wants, like some people, better than others. It's really hard for me and you to get in faith and really truly believe God if we have sin in our life and we're not fearing God. So these are just three benefits. There's many, many more. There has, there's some that has to do with your wealth. There's some that has to do with your children. Some have to do with your, your spouse. There's all kinds of benefits from the fear of God, developing the fear of God. Let me just remind you, how do you develop the fear of God? You develop the fear of God by saying, God, I'm living my life before you. I know I can't hide anything from you. And so, uh, in my eyes, I would never, I, I imagine or I envision myself living in the presence of God all the time. That means everything I do, he sees it. And he knows it. Would you live different if he was here in person? And he lived in your house? Would you live different? I think that you could live that way without him being here in the flesh. Because he does live with you. <clears throat> so I want to close, uh, close with the, a few scriptures, just a couple of scriptures, and I may add some if I go, as I go along. So give me that grace. Revelations 19, verse 7. says, Let us rejoice and shout for joy, exulting and triumphant. Let us celebrate and ascribe to him glory and honor for the marriage supper of the Lamb at last has come. And what has happened? His bride has prepared herself. Verse 8. She's been permitted to dress in fine radiant linen, dazzling in white. For the fine linen is signifies, represents the righteousness, the upright, just, and godly living deeds and conduct and right standing with God of the saints, God's holy people. Now, there are, there are two kinds of holiness. There is positional, and, and I talked about it a little bit last time, and I was gonna, going to this morning, but I don't have time. There is positional when you're born again. The Bible says God sees you as holy when you're born again. But then there's behavioral holiness where your conduct begins to show forth the holiness of the God that's on the inside of you. 
And so here we kind of see both. That you have been made holy, but then there's conduct that goes along with it. This is the bride. And I believe we are in the last days. I don't know how long the last days are, but we are in that time frame. I shared last time that Jesse Duplantis was taken to heaven and the one message that he was, taken, he was given to bring back to the people here on earth was Jesus said to him, tell them I am coming soon. His soon is not my soon because that happened in 1988. But I truly believe if he's telling people and he's telling people all the time, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon, I'm coming soon. He's coming. And I believe it, it must be this generation or he wouldn't be telling this generation. So my question is, if you knew that on Tuesday, Jesus was going to come back with the rapture, would you get yourself ready? Would you get yourself ready? Today would be a good time. Then I want to ask you this question. Do you know it's not going to be Tuesday? Uh, I mean, there's not going to be a text message. It's going to come and say, Behold, I'm coming on Tuesday. Get ready. It's going to be when you think not in a twinkling of an eye. So in the meantime, what are we going to do? We're going to do Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear ones, as you have always obeyed my suggestions, so now, not only with the enthusiasm you should show, would show in my presence, but much more because I'm absent, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal, fully complete your own salvation with reverence, and awe and trembling, this self-distrust and serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking, shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Christ. And that's my commission to you. If Tuesday comes... And Tuesday goes, and Jesus hasn't come back. You still have some time to work on your salvation with fear and trembling. Cleansing yourself of anything that would displease God. But if he comes back on Tuesday, will you be glad that you did all of this on Sunday? Because the bride makes herself ready. It has been our honor to offer this message today. If you would like to partner with us as we continue to bring the Word of God, we would ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Victory Center with a financial donation. You may do so today via the online giving portal at victorycenter.org. Thank you.